Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of Speech and Language Pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. Good morning, everybody. It is episode four. This is your host, Chantal Mayer Crittenden, and I am with Lauren Herman, who is actually in California. I'm very, very jealous because here in Sudbury, Ontario, I was just telling her there's about five feet of snow. Um, We got dumped with a bunch of snow this winter, so I'm very jealous of our climate out in California, and I wish we could be doing this over there. (laughs) So good morning, Lauren. (laughs) Good morning. Uh, I, I just find it fascinating how, how how this came about. I mean, we met on Instagram a few weeks ago, and we have a similar interest. And here we are. I mean, we're we're about two thousand miles apart, or th- over three thousand kilometers apart, and uh, three hour time zone difference. So this is amazing, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah, it's wild how easy it is, isn't it? I know communication <laughs> is just that much more accessible. I guess yeah globe so um it's yeah, fantastic. I love it. uh so maybe I'll just let you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself sure so my name is Lauren Herman um I am currently actually working I'm a medical SLP I'm working at a community hospital part-time and then a level one trauma hospital per diem um so quite often I'll actually work at both hospitals hospitals in the same day uh, because they're both very busy. I got my master's degree in 2012 from James Madison University in Virginia. And I've basically, uh, I've, I've worked in six different states now, I believe all over the country. And so I'm just here for several more months before I move again. Wow. Where are you off to next? We actually don't know. My husband's finishing up his fellowship right now at Stanford okay. um, for pain medicine. So we're kind of job hunting right now. Okay. Wow. That's, that's fascinating, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And so what type of work do you do right now in, the, in these hospitals? Sure. I am. Um, so I primarily evaluate and treat individuals with dysphagia or swallowing impairment. Um, we get a lot of stroke patients, a lot of uh, geriatric population with UTI, which can affect their level of alertness and their safety with eating. Um, they can become very confused, lethargic. Um, so and a lot of people... A urinary tract infection that can yes. cause all of this, right? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, as well as a lot of individuals... Um, just after a trauma, you know, in, in certain parts of San Jose where I work, there are a lot of gunshot wounds, stabbing wounds that we get, um, a lot of pedestrians versus vehicles. So just a lot of trauma that can result in some pretty serious traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So you do uh, work with people with traumatic brain injury on cognitive communication at times? and Yes. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, I, I like how, how you're kind of touching on a little bit about everything that we do as speech pathologists. And I, I saw in one of your Instagram posts, how you said we should be called speech language, voice, swallow, cognitive wizards. <laughs> and I couldn't agree more because speech language pathologist is just such a vague term. And yes, you know, most people think we, I, I said this in my introduction, they think that we work with kids on their speech. Yep. And actually in French, it's, it's, even less obvious. So the, the word for speech language pathologist is 
orthophonist. So a lot of people <laughs> assume that we work, you know, ortho, so feet or, or orthodontics. And then in, uh, mm-hmm. in Europe, the term is logopedist. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's so interesting. We definitely, I, I used to say to my students or to anybody, we basically do everything that's from the neck up. That's what I say. Yeah, but then now I'm kind of rethinking that because that omits everything that's body language as well. So Uh, I don't know. Good point. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, and I also think too, from a swallowing standpoint, we also work with a lot of the esophagus as well. So (laughs) So, yeah. So we're we're kind of going full body here. (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, Okay, so what kind of initiated this podcast is that you're working on a book. So maybe tell us a little bit about this super interesting project of yours. Absolutely. So, you know, I started working in a nursing home. That's where I did my my clinical fellowship year right out of grad school. And in nursing homes, you can get just a lot of interesting, funny stories. You work with these individuals, you know, mostly five days a week. You get to know the long-term residents. Um, and so I'd come home sometimes with some funny stories and my family would always tell me, oh man, you need to either start a blog post or, or write a book. There are a lot of interesting stories. And, you know, I thought that was interesting and funny and all, but I didn't really think I was going to do it. Then as I started to work more, you know, more and more people, when I would introduce myself, the first question I would often get is speech therapy, but my, my speech is fine. I don't need speech therapy. What are you doing here? So then I would have to go over, you know, everything that we actually do. Our scope is much wider, much broader than just speech and articulation, you know, and and here's why I'm here. Here's how I can help. Um, So I I really learned that a lot of people weren't fully aware of what speech pathologists do outside of just speech and articulation. Mm -hmm. So the idea of writing this book, um, it was partially to share kind of the funny and memorable stories, but it's also to really kind of spread the word, I think, to the general public of our full scope because of, I was just kind of blown away by how many people really had no idea that we could even work with individuals, you know, on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. um, for example, um, and, and brain injury voice. I had a lot of people come to me and ask me if speech therapy could help with their, their, their voice issues. They had no clue that we could do that. Um, and so I actually, I, I follow this website. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called imager, imager.com. I M G R. Um, and it's basically just like a, it's a social media site where people can share pictures, um, funny videos, stories, and there's a common theme actually, it's called work stories. So a lot of people will just share their own work stories. And it's really interesting to learn about all these people's different careers from um, some physicians have shared to janitors. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to post my own series of work stories and just kind of see, see what happens. Um, and it really took off. A lot of people can vote on your posts, upvote or downvote. And I got thousands of upvotes and um, a lot I'm going to have to, to check this out. I didn't, I wasn't Absolutely. familiar with this and I'll put it in the show notes at uh, the parleypodcast.com so people can check it out as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just a good website. You know, you go to when you're bored basically just to find funnier, interesting stuff, random things. So um, anyway, so after, you know, I guess it went viral on that website Um, I started to get a lot of private messages from people. And again, they were asking, you know, hey, I, you know, it's really hard 
for me to speak sometimes. My voice sounds so strangled and I just, I stopped talking in group conversations now and it's really bugging me. And it sounds like speech therapy can help. Is that true? What, what can I do? So again, they had no idea. So that's what really kind of kicked off. Okay. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to share my stories because I have experiences from working with premature infants to people 100 plus years old. And um, I think not only is it just eye-opening and entertaining to kind of read some of these funny stories or heartbreaking even, um, but I think it can be informative to a lot of people in the, the general public. And then the project grew to, I want to get stories from other speech pathologists from around the world. Um, kind of like if you're familiar with the chicken soup for the soul books. Mm -hmm. So kind of similar to that, where in between each of my chapters, I'd like to insert a short story from a speech pathologist just somewhere else in the world, something memorable or funny, mm -hmm. just again, to kind of make it like a collective experience. Uh, That's fantastic. Which yeah. Reminds me, um, you know, I, I'm just like you, I've worked with kids, I've worked with, with adults and I'm, I've, because I, we're, we're kind of in a, a remote community here. And so I always say I'm a, I'm a Jack or a Jill of all trades, but a master <laughs> of none. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I've seen everything and anything. And I remember once I was doing home care and, you know, realized that these clients would have so many people come in and out of their homes or they'd have nurses, they'd have speech pathologists, they'd have physiotherapists, occupational therapists, social workers, you know, everybody's coming in and mm -hmm. out. Uh, poking and you know doing their little intervention and I walked in and this was maybe the third time that I, I was in there um, but over a period of a couple months so it's not like I was a regular therapist and I, I walk in and, and my client immediately starts taking her pants off and so I just stopped her. I'm like no no <laughs> like I'm here for you know the other part of the body you know that I'm not, I'm not after today so yeah um, I think that you know we kind of forget that um you know, that was kind of a, an aha moment for me because I had the tendency, and this was earlier on in my career, to, to go in, do my thing, and get out. And yes. then after that, I thought, oh, I really need to, to spend a bit more time with them because they're, mm -hmm. they're people who, who exactly. also have that nice little conversation and that rapport. So, but yeah, yeah. I'll forget that. And I felt she felt so horrible after she apologized a thousand times. I don't worry about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And um, like I was saying, you know, I've done, I've done home care, schools, uh, hospitals, long-term care facilities, mental health service programs. And then right now at the university, we have a clinic and I, I am the one that primarily takes care of the voice clients. And so, yeah, I get okay. the same response when I talk to people. And then, um, especially if I tell them, yeah, we even work with, with transgendered people who want to feminize their voice. And I just, what, you guys do that? <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because, you know, obviously for us, we're, we're inundated by this. So you tend to almost get in this mindset of like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious that speech pathologists do this, correct? But so you have to kind of step out of that mindset and think, you know, no, it's, it's not very common for people to think that speech therapists could help, you know, people with, with uh, voice impairments or with transgender voice modulation. So I have to, I have to remind myself, pull myself out of the clinician mindset into kind of just the general mindset of, Hey, you know, really self-advocate and just explain what you do a little bit more thoroughly because not everyone knows everything about this profession. So no. it's, it's helpful to kind of remind yourself <laughs> those yeah. things. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I was kind of thinking of my, to myself, Oh, like, what would I say, you know, if, if, 
what what is the story that I would contribute? And I think yeah. for myself, I don't necessarily, other than that little story that I just shared, but yes, as a, as a professional, and I think this goes for any profession, I've just had, I've been now working for almost 17 years. So that's kind of wow. scary. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've had so many aha moments where I thought I knew something and then something clicks and then I realize, oh, oh, now I really truly get it. And then I think, yes. oh my gosh, my poor clients that I saw, you know, 10 years ago, you know, where, I, but I mean, that's just part of any profession you, with experience, you gain knowledge and you get more comfortable, but I've had so many of these aha moments where something just kind of clicks and I'm, I realize that, oh, okay, now I truly grasp this part of, of this profession kind of thing. Absolutely. And I know as a student too, I always really appreciated hearing the seasoned clinicians telling me things like that, you know, because you're pretty terrified when you start out thinking, oh my gosh, I have to know everything. And and you feel like you need to when you first start out, but it's just a constant growing and learning experience. I mean, I'm sure, you know, decades into it, you're still going to be learning things, especially with the new research that comes out and what we discover, the more we kind of get into this field. And it's something you just really have to be comfortable with, um, which I think has helped me at least personally become more comfortable in my skin, you know, learning from either my own mistakes or just not being up to date on the research, you know, just as long as you continue to push yourself to to learn what's out there. And I love Teresa Richards' podcast, Swallow Your Pride, because that's kind of the whole premise behind it, right? Swallow your pride. You don't know everything and it's okay, (laughs) you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's your job to get informed. (laughs) Know that you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Which kind of, if if we could go back a little bit, because I think this is really interesting. So you talked about urinary tract infections and and how that can develop into so many other complications. Can you maybe touch on that? Because I think that a lot of listeners have no idea that something as as simple, quote unquote, as a urinary tract infection can be so complex. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, the urinary tract infection, it's essentially, you know, bacteria that's in your urine and your bladder. And for some individuals, especially the older you get at it can eventually affect your bloodstream. You know, the bacteria can cross over and affect your blood, which then can affect your cognitive status. Um, you'll see, you know, if someone has history of stroke and they come in with a urinary tract infection, their symptoms basically from the stroke could be heightened, actually. So their aphasia or their um, difficulties with, with using language and understanding language could be worse when they come in with urinary tract infection. Their weakness, their left-sided or right-sided weakness could be worse, um, or they could just be very confused. Um, even if they don't have history of the stroke, the urinary tract infection from the bacteria, they basically just become septic and they become very disoriented, very confused, sometimes difficult to wake up. And then that's when... With speech therapy in the hospital, we typically get consulted primarily just to evaluate their swallow function at that point, um, Mm -hmm. because the nurses need to know, are they safe enough to swallow their whole pills? Um, Should we even try to feed them? Or are we just going to increase their risk of getting food and liquid into lungs? Um, you know, and causing pneumonia. So that's kind of when we come in and typically, you know, the first day, there's not a whole lot we can do if it's pretty severe. They're, they're very lethargic. They're not really able to wake up. So, but then as the antibiotics kick in and they start to improve, you know, normally we'll be able to work with them and get them back on their baseline diet or see their, their symptoms resolve. Mm-hmm. No, that's again, some people don't see that link. And I just posted something on my Instagram recently, which I, I had no idea that untreated hearing loss 
is increases the risk of dementia, depression, falls, and cardiac disease. The cardiac disease blows my mind. Oh. I'm not quite sure what the relationship is there, but again, right? Just something, and I, I knew this before, but even or, oral hygiene. So if you've got yes. oral hygiene, that can lead to stroke, cardiac disease. So, you know, <laughs> there's, oh, there's yeah. much more involved. And as, as speech language pathologists, you kind of feel like you got to know everything about all of this because we're involved, but, um, Oh yeah. 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 It group. feels endless sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see where we're at here. Um, so why, um, uh, what does communication mean to you overall? So, um, I mean, in, in general communication to me is to me, it's just, you're, your ticket to independence, really, for you to be able to communicate your wants, your needs. I'm a huge traveler, and obviously I need to be able to communicate to others to coordinate plans for lodging and flights. And if I did not have that communication, I feel like I personally would be, feel very isolated, basically, and I would lose that independence if my communication were to be stripped away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've traveled abroad quite a bit, and it is it's astonishing how you rely on communication, especially when you're, when you're in a country where you cannot speak the language. Yes. Um, it's, I mean, I remember when <laughs> we were in Spain and I kind of had assumed, Oh, I'm sure people in Spain, a lot of them will speak English. And we were a little bit behind to get to the airport. So we were trying to ask for directions and we must have pulled over 10 people and nobody could speak English. And so we're trying to communicate via sign language and, you know, uh, it was very frustrating. So, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I had traveled to Prague, actually, and that I mean, I don't, I don't know any Czech, you know. And so, mm-hmm. my friends and I, when we were trying to look at maps, and just we would see all these street names that were so long and just looked like a bunch of consonants after yes. each other. <laughs> we would have no clue how to pronounce it. We didn't know how to ask for directions. So we would give each other assignments. Of, okay, you remember the first three consonants of this street name, and I'll remember the last three consonants of this street wow. name. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then look for that way through the patterns of just how the letters were aligned so it is it can be absolutely challenging yeah actually I'm hoping to go to Prague there's a conference an international conference that I go to every three years and they're saying that in 2023 it might be in Prague so I I hope oh oh, I love Prague you will love it (laughs) yeah yeah that's what I hear everybody that's been there loves it yeah Um, so a bit earlier you talked briefly about aphasia so can you maybe tell us a little bit more about about that Sure. So, so like I said earlier with aphasia, um, it's, it's a, a language impairment, basically, where you'll be unable to or have difficulty with understanding or expressing your language, commonly from a stroke. Um, and what I love, actually, is I've even seen bumper stickers, I guess, with family members who maybe have had a loved one that suffered a stroke and they have aphasia. And they'll say, aphasia is not an intellectual issue. It's, it's a language issue. And it's something mm-hmm. I've worked with patients who have had aphasia and they will be, you know, just cry and, and have such a hard time because others are not understanding what they're trying to say. And they, they know what they want to say, but it's like their, their lips and their brain have a disconnect is basically mm-hmm. what some have told me it, it feels like. Um, and they feel, they tell me they feel so stupid. Those are the words they use. They feel dumb and it's so frustrating, but you know, I have to remind them it, it's, it's not, I you don't feel like you're, you're a dumb or you, you have this impaired intellectual 
ability, it's all language. And I understand how frustrating that can become because even a simple task for us, like going grocery shopping, can become a huge challenge for them. Um, a lot of breakdowns, and it can take a lot longer than what it might take you or I to do if they can't find an item, you know, in a certain aisle, then they have to ask for it, but then that might be very challenging for them. Um, so in their aphasia too is often broken down into kind of two forms. There's the fluent aphasia and non-fluence. So with fluent, you know, they might be able to speak fluently. There's not a lot of hesitations or pauses but the words that come out might not be appropriate. They might not make sense. Um, and then with a non-fluent, you'll see a lot of hesitations, a lot of pauses. Um, they, they, you can tell they know what they want to say, but it just can't come out or the wrong word will come out. It can be very frustrating. Um, and typically with those individuals, they can understand more than they can actually express or say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting because my grandfather um, growing up, so my, my, I was the 34th grandchild on my mom. So my grandparents were quite old. My mom was the youngest of nine and I was the youngest grandchild. So, um, and I never heard my grandfather speak. And so he was from a very small remote town and we kind of now he's passed a long time ago, assume that he probably had a stroke and it just was untreated. Nothing. Nobody ever did anything about it. Oh, but wow. you know, for me growing up, my grandfather just sat at the table and I remember he was you know, just smoking his cigarette and he, he would, he would nod. So he, he did understand, but it was just kind of normal, you know, to see him that way. But looking back, I wish, you know, he had seen a speech therapist to, to help him communicate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, There's a absolutely. really, really cool uh, video on YouTube and I'll put it in the show notes and it's called aphasia music therapy. And it's a man who gives a speech um, and he has what's called Broca's aphasia. So it's mainly that, like you were saying, that non-fluent, he, he has a really, really hard time getting the words out. And um, he, he uses music therapy, which activates the right side of the brain. And so he gives this entire speech and he actually uses the analogy of aphasia being a country. And um, he says, once you're in the country of aphasia, there's no planes going out. There's no trains leaving. You're on an island and mm-hmm. there's no way out. You're always going to have aphasia and it does get better with, with treatment and it changes and whatnot, but you're always kind of going to have some form of, of word finding difficulty or whatnot. Let's just take a moment and listen to a little excerpt of that. One day they said to me, Excuse me, but we don't know where you're from. (laughs) They couldn't tell what country my voice accent was from. So I looked them squarely in the eye and I said, I'm from aphasia. <laughs> you know, it's a little country of South America down there. Um, but it's, it's super interesting. So I'll put that little, that link uh, in the show yeah, notes. Absolutely. And there's another one that I always show my students um, from Tactus Therapy, and it's Byron. 
Byron, how are you? I'm happy. Are you pretty? You look good. What are you doing today? We stayed with the water over here at the moment and talked with the people over them over there. They're diving for them at the moment. They'll save in the moment. He'll have water very soon for him. With luck for him. So we're on a cruise and we're about to we get to We will soar it right here and they'll save their hands right there for and, them. And what were we just doing with the iPad? Uh, right at the moment, they don't show a darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's got the fluent aphasia and he just goes on and on and on and on and talks and he, he's got the right yes. intonation and he, you know, he, 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 but he's not really saying anything. Yes, yes. So, and also just with, with language too, um, you know, again, a lot of people think, okay, just speaking, but then, you know, we also look at writing and reading and um, seeing how, how aphasia can also carry over into not just writing, but like you mentioned with music, there's, an, you know, an individual who he had the fluent aphasia, he would talk and talk and talk and talk. He also knew how to play the piano. And so what was interesting is when he would play, he would play and play and play and play. And no he would way. kind of, uh -huh. You would kind of jumble up different songs. So you'd hear, you know, the intro to one song and then he would switch over to another and then switch over to another. And, you know, it, it would come to the point where you almost had to put your hands over his hands to kind of stop that in a way. So it's very similar to his, his speaking patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting that you mentioned that because I always ask my students to come up with an analogy to differentiate speech from language. And what mm -hmm. I use, the example I give them, they're not allowed to use it, is I'll say language is like the computer and speech is the printer. And so a lot of things can go wrong between the computer and the printer. Uh, so sometimes it's the cable or sometimes it's just the printer. Printer's not working. Computer's fine. Cable's fine. Printer, something's wrong. And so one student used the analogy of reading music. And then that led me to, to question, oh, how is reading musical notes different than reading words you know and what mm -hmm. part of the brain yeah. but yeah, yeah I had never that's interesting that you say that this man yeah. piano playing was similar yes. to his speech so that just yeah oh it was fascinating it is it is yeah. um so what would be your take-home message for our listeners with regards to to all of this um, so for me, my big thing is just self-advocacy. I mean, that's, you know, pretty much the, one of the main reasons why I'm writing my book is to advocate for our profession. I also tell my patients, um, a lot of times with my patients who do have aphasia to advocate for themselves, if they're going to go out, if they're comfortable with it and they're out in public, you know, let the person that they're talking with know, Hey, you know, I've had a stroke. Um, I need, I might need more time. Um, or if you need me to repeat myself, you don't understand, let me know. Um, you know, you can get, uh, I've given my patients cards, kind of these, um, identification cards that will say, I have aphasia, it'll define aphasia and it lists out the strategies that work best for them. So they could even hand it to the cashier or whomever they're speaking with to kind of advocate for themselves and make the environment a little bit easier for them. So I think when we can kind of, my take home message with self-advocacy is kind of just really, um, embodying that community feel kind of getting everyone in, um, you know, as close to the same page as possible and having um, everyone just help each other out to the best that they can. Mm -hmm. Which I think come, explains a little bit why a lot of people don't know what we do as speech-language pathologists okay. because communication or language impairments are often invisible. 
And yes. so if you see someone who's walking down the street with a cane or who has, um, you know, a limp or, you know, a, a mm-hmm. physical disability, then it's clear that they, they have um, motor issues. But when it comes to communication, you don't see it. And so uh, it, they, they often are perceived as having a lower IQ than they actually do because they can't communicate very well. But sometimes it's, mm-hmm. you know, well, most cases that the, the cognitive status is, is completely intact. There's no intellectual deficiency. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a big issue for us is that we work with people whose difficulties are often invisible. Absolutely. It's like I, I yeah. like uh, a, a researcher who works primarily with kids, Dorothy Bishop. She calls it the Cinderella effect. It's kind of like, oh, you know, it, yeah. it's very hard to see. You, it disappears kind of. You, you, it's not obvious to others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Call it like the the pokerua. That's like from it was a Canadian show back in the day. I think it was Canadian. Yeah, it was Canadian, where there was this this character that only one person would see, nobody else would see. You know. So where's pokeru? You know? I've so, never heard of that show. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Canadian. I realize that I'm saying it. Yeah. Um. So, what are some of your your favorite resources for? for the general public, for your, your clients, your, your patients, or so even definitely, your professional. Absolutely. I, so I do love aphasia.org. Um, I love how, you know, they can offer information if you're the professional, if you're the individual with aphasia, or if you are a family member or loved one of someone who has aphasia. Um, I love how they can give you resources on um, new information that's coming out regarding therapy or regarding, you know, I think recently there's something about research on how the right brain can take over and how it can affect your speech and language. And they're doing research on different structures of the brain and how they can even predict the outcome of your, your language or speech therapy post-stroke, which is very interesting. Um, and uh, another thing I really love about that website is it gives you, it kind of shows you an, a map of the country, the United States, for us, and, and uh, it'll show you where different support groups are located. So you can look up, you know, oh, is there a good aphasia or stroke support group near me? And so, again, I think support groups are just so important because you can feel like you're on a one-man island or a one-woman island um, when you're going through this. So to meet others who are going through something very similar to you, it can just be really uplifting and motivating, I think, and just to have that sense of community. And I love that aphasia.org kind of updates that and just lets you know where these communities are, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as online resources too, you know, letting you know where the online support groups are. Um, including Facebook and social media support groups. So I'm a huge fan of, of that website just because it really offers a lot for the clinicians, the patients, and the patients, family members, and loved ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, that's great. And I think you had talked about um, Tactus Therapy as well, which I mentioned with, uh, yes. with the video from Bayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also have on your Instagram, one of your Instagram posts, um, you, you posted a picture of Jay Leno. So can you maybe tell yeah. us, why, why did you post a picture of Jay Leno? <laughs> I know. I thought this was so interesting. He got his, it's just his, his bachelor's degree in communication sciences and disorders. 
Um, so, you know, he, he obviously wanted to pursue speech pathology, but then he picked up and moved out to California and started, got into his own talk show, so, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. And honestly, that's something that I, I really would like to learn more about. I know this kind of seems like a big reach for me with my project and my book, but I actually am trying to see if I can reach out somehow to Jay Leno. Um, you know, I've already contacted his agency um, because I'd actually like to see if I can get more information from him on that. I would like to learn, you know, what, what interested you in speech pathology and just to kind of learn more about that journey for him. Mm-hmm. I, if I could get that, I think that'd be incredible to add into my book. For sure. It's, it's pretty interesting how many people um, have speech and language pathology as their background and then have moved yes. on to something else. And I mean, I think you were telling me about Miss Australia, was it? Yeah. So Miss Universe Australia. Yeah. Olivia Rogers uh, is her name. Um, and so she actually did respond to me and she's, she's a speech pathologist. Uh, she was 2017 Miss Universe Australia, and she was very excited to join in on the project and share a story from her experience as a speech pathologist. She's very active um, in the world of speech pathology still. She uh, works with children, so I'll be getting a story from her as well. So again, I'm just kind of working on seeing who I can get to give me some interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Which I think will help our, our profession. If we can get famous people to say, Hey, I'm a, <laughs> I think on the bachelor, I don't know if it's this year's, I don't, I don't watch it, but I think one mm-hmm. of the, um, the bachelorettes was a speech or a communicative disorders assistant, communication disorders assistant. And, and they did talk about that. There was a bit of yes. A- yeah. yeah. Cassie, I've already reached out to her. <laughs> oh, have you? <laughs> Great. That's awesome. I'm glad you're doing all of this. I'm on it. <laughs> when we were talking about resources, I, I was reminded of um, on Netflix, there's actually a really good documentary called My Beautiful Broken Brain. And yes. it's about, have you seen it or heard of it? Yes. Uh, it's about a very young woman who, who has a stroke. I think she's in her 20s, late 20s. Um, she's in her 20s. Yeah. And uh, this... It, is in the UK, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, she talks about her experience as she's living through the stroke. And um, for her, she was a writer, was she not? And her reading and writing was Mm -hmm. impacted. I mean, her speech is not bad. She's got word, she has a hard time finding her words. Mm -hmm. But after the stroke, she can no longer read. So, you know, it's, she had to become a different person essentially because she was, she was a writer. Um, yeah. There's also, um, what's the one, oh, her name is escaping me right now. She had a, a stroke and my stroke of insight. She wrote a book. So mm. she's a neurologist. Um, here, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it and, and find it. Yeah. She's a neurologist who uh, had a stroke and kind of realized as it was happening, like, oh my gosh, I am having a stroke right now. Um, it's very, very interested, interesting. She's been, uh, she's, she has a Ted talk. Um, let me see here. Her name is Jill Bolte Taylor. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes. And I'm thinking, I got to get to work. I got to get to work. Can I drive? Can I drive? And in that moment, my right arm went totally paralyzed by my side. Then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. And then the next thing my brain says to me is, wow, this is so cool. (laughs) This is so cool. How many brain scientists have the opportunity to study their own brain from the inside out? (laughs) 
And then it crosses my mind, but I'm a very busy woman. I don't have time for a stroke. It's like, okay, I can't stop the stroke from happening, so I'll do this for a week or two, and then I'll get back to my routine, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's very fascinating. She explains while it was happening, she was, she had kind of lost the sensation of her arms and, and she's, she's trying to call for help, but can't even um, read the numbers on the telephone pad. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's Jay Leno. There is also, uh, you know, I always tell people this um, Marilyn Monroe was a stutterer. Yes, right? which is why she kind yes. of has a soft voice to try to <laughs> compensate for yeah. that. So uh, Bruce Willis, so um, James Earl Jones. Who else? Sorry, James Earl Jones. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. and he would never think, right? Because he's known now for his deep, very powerful exactly. voice. Exactly. Yes, I thought that was very interesting. Also, um, Ellen DeGeneres' mother uh, was a speech pathologist too. I had no idea. Isn't that interesting? I know. Very interesting. <laughs> hmm. Maybe Ellen could talk about speech and language pathology on her show. I know. <laughs> um, so I was looking just to, uh, you know, shed some light on the prevalence of stroke. So here I have, so in the States, um, the prevalence of stroke is roughly 3% of the adult population, which translates to approximately 7 million individuals. So it is so common, yet few people really understand the impact it can have on one's language or speech and reading and writing. Mm-hmm. What I think I, I read that currently there are over 2 million individuals that have aphasia. Oh, is that right? In the United States, in the United States yes. Yeah, no, exactly. It's It's definitely something that... Um, needs to be more, more known, you know, just, we need to, we need to educate a little bit more. I think that's, that's what I'm always told is that as speech language pathologists, we tend to be a little, we're not very aggressive. (laughs) We're not very good advocates of our profession. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I think we've kind of gone around everything that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything that you wanted to, to add about your, um, take on communication and our role and um, really, I mean, again, just with my, my take on just about how, how wide our scope really is. And again, just to kind of get the word out for a lot of people, because I have been very surprised with how many individuals have come to me, just completely unaware that we could benefit. So uh, I guess just really touching on my take-home message again, like we've been talking about self-advocacy, and um, and again, I'll I'll put on my my Instagram account, of course, when my book will be published too. Yeah. I, I'm hoping again, this book is meant for the general public. So in my book, whatever um, disease process or injury or disorder that I go over, I will be describing it in very basic terms as mm-hmm. well. So. For speech pathologists out there, I am going to be really defining, you know, dysphagia and all these things that are so common knowledge for us. Mm-hmm. I'm really going over it as if I'm introducing it to the first time for okay. everybody who's reading the book. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody out there is interested in, in taking part in, in yes, the book, how do they, how do they contact you? So uh, my Instagram account, which is just the handle name is speech stories. 
So I have it open to the public. Um, and I just invite people to send me a direct message. If you have some story that really just stands out, you know, if you've had a story that you've shared with friends and family members and they tell you, wow, you know, you really need to write that down or you should write a book about that, share it with me. And I'd be happy to add that into my book. Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes at uh, theparleypodcast.com as well. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, I think that, it, like I said at the very beginning, I think that um, social media, I mean, it has its, its advantages and disadvantages, but yes. you know, today I think it's, a, it's an advantage. We, <laughs> it's a win. It's a win, exactly. We're <laughs> able to, and, you know, when I read about what you were wanting to write about, I'm like, well, this is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. So you're yeah. doing the book and I'm doing the, the podcast part. So it's, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I thank you very much for uh, meeting me so early. So it, it was nine o'clock in the morning for me, but 6 a.m. for you. <laughs> so Yes, I know. I'm crazy. I get up at 5 a.m. pretty much every day. So <laughs> Wow. I did that for a little while. Um, and it was great. I actually really liked it. And I, I, I think um, right now, because it's so dark in the mornings and cold and miserable, oh, I was yeah. motivated. But in the summer... Um, my husband and I were doing the 5 a.m. club. I don't, I don't know if you've heard about that with uh, Robin Sharma. He's, he's kind of um, a life coach slash motivational speaker. And yeah, he, has, he actually has a book. It's called The 5 a.m. Club. And if you um, just talks about, you know, get up before everybody else and, and get that job done. You know, if you're, yeah. I, I did a lot of my, the work on the podcast actually pretty early before I even started with my, my regular day. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's my, my good time to try to write out another chapter of my book actually Mm -hmm. in the morning. And it is also much easier to wake up at 5am in California than I sure, and then I'm sure it is in Canada (laughs) right now. Yeah. Very easy to to palm trees in the morning. (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm jealous. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, please let me know when your, your book is, is published and I'd love to, um, have you back or, you know, talk some more about it. Um, and Absolutely. I would definitely recommend it and get a copy for myself because yeah. I, I like how you compared it to the, the chicken soup for the soul, because I, I love those books. They were so easy to read. <laughs> Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it's so funny too. I, I actually debated for a while whether or not to title, title it thickened soup for the soul since we thicken liquids a lot for people with you know, dysphagia, but it's apparently, uh, since it's a trademarked title, it would be too close to the title. So I can't use that title, but I thought it would be a fun play on words. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> um, actually, before we finish, I do have a, a bit of a funny story. So I have um, yes. a very close friend of mine had a brain aneurysm that ruptured. And so um, when I visited her in the hospital, she was on thick and liquid. So for our listeners, um, anybody who has a hard time swallowing, oftentimes we, a speech pathologist will thicken or will recommend that their liquids be thickened because it's just safer to swallow. And so she loved Pepsi and all she wanted was her Pepsi. And so another friend of mine uh, and myself, we went to the hospital with Pepsi and we brought our little sachet of thickener and we all sat there and sipped thickened Pepsi. It was gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's like basically putting cornstarch in Pepsi. So yes. that, yes. You know, again, made me realize that meh, I will think twice about recommending thickened liquids to my, my patients when they don't really need Absolutely. it. Exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always tell my patients, you know, this is honestly my last resort. If you mm-hmm. try strategy, try, try anything else, it's, it's not the go-to thing to mm-hmm. recommend. 
So, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again. I'll let you go about your day. And like I was saying, I've got to get on a plane to Toronto for a meeting and I'm probably going to have that conversation again. What do you do? Um, speech yes, exactly. That. Exactly. <laughs> I'll just tell them, listen to my podcast. <laughs> much easier yeah exactly (laughs) okay well thanks again and um look forward to hearing from you and following you on on instagram yes thank you so much for your time i appreciate it no problem i wanted to touch a little bit on the title of this podcast so speech mythologist speech pterodactyl cheap therapist say what so we didn't really talk about this in the podcast because this came about after the recording this is something that lauren had posted on her instagram account at speech stories and i thought it was pretty fitting because we do talk about how the field of speech language pathology is so unknown and most people have no idea what our title means or even how to say it so that's why i chose to go with that title and uh, i thought it was pretty representative of our chat well i usually include the bloopers from our recordings but believe it or not we didn't really have any i guess that you that's what you get when uh when you're when you're pa- so passionate about what you're talking um so i encourage the listeners to visit those youtube videos the links are in the show notes at theparleypodcast.com so please take a listen to the full videos if you're interested in strokes and the impact that they can have either on communication or on one's perception of the world such as um, is the case with uh, jill bolte taylor so i hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, stay tuned for much much more take care